0: Welcome to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. Each week, our host, Dr. Laura Shinneman, dives deep into school library topics to help you build your skills and take charge of your own professional development. Her mission is to create an environment where librarians flourish and become lifelong learners. Now, on to today's podcast. I'd like to welcome Tom Bober to the Librarian Influencers Podcast. And Tom, it's such a pleasure to chat with you today. Um, if you would, take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background of, of your library time.
1: Laura, thanks for having me on here. I'm really happy to talk with you. I am an elementary school librarian. I've been in that position for the last 12 or 13 years. I'm in a small district in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri, three elementary schools, a middle school and a high school. Okay. And the last two years, I've also been the library coordinator. I, before that, I was in the role of an instructional technology specialist, and that in our districts have been basically a role that is building-based, that helps classroom teachers integrate the technology into their classroom instruction. And prior to that, I was six years in classrooms in both fourth and fifth grade.
0: Okay. And so the way you just described that, you, your coordinator job is like a, an add-on to your current role, you know, as a librarian. But I love how that combination of you being a teacher and then the ed tech part has led you into now, you know, with the library where we combine all of those good things, you know, into our school library environment. Um, and you might be the first person from Missouri that I've actually interviewed. So could you tell me a little bit about what does it take to be a school librarian in your state?
1: So there's a few different paths that you can take. All of them, they do want you to have a teacher certification. And all of them, there is also a test that you have to take, a state test that you have to take to receive that certification. Okay. You can also go and the path of getting an some type of an LMS degree, right. which is the path that I took. And another path is to take a, and this is a new structure that they put into place, a core set of classes and it's two or three classes. This is brand new this school year okay. that essentially gives you a foundation in some of the basics of librarianship okay. along with the test, along with the teaching certification.
0: Okay. So an alternate pathway. Um, and I know when I've heard that from other States is because they have like a shortage of librarians. Is that something Missouri is facing? Like they're using that as a shortcut route to help kind of build the numbers up.
1: So we've actually bolstered the requirements, but be, because before that, you only needed the teacher certification and the test. And so they've added the three classes on um, just this year to, um, to, to, I think, provide some more that, of that foundational knowledge that I think school librarians need when they walk into that library. So often on their own with, with little kind of daily support, they'll have that foundation that they can draw from as well.
0: Okay, that makes sense. All right. So when you're thinking back um, to the beginning, when you first stepped into the library, what what are your memories from those early years?
1: So I walked into and I was really lucky with this, I made a decision while I was in that instructional tech position that I, I was missing some elements of student interactions that I wasn't getting, especially around literature. And so I decided to move towards librarianship. It seemed to be a good path for me Mm -hmm. and started in on my coursework. And as I did that, I found out that our school librarian in our building was retiring. Oh,
0: perfect timing.
1: And, And so, yes, the timing just worked out. The stars aligned. We had a new principal coming in and he luckily saw the vision that I hoped to implement. In the library, and so I came in kind of knowing the building, knowing the staff, knowing the students. And because I also worked in the library in that tech position, or that was like my home base, Mm -hmm. I had some understanding of what that program already looked like. So I luckily came in with a bit of an agenda of things that I knew that I wanted to do, and things that I wanted to keep things that I wanted to change. But the biggest thing that i remember from that first year was weeding like crazy
0: <laughs> okay
1: we had a library that just desperately needed it and um the other thing that happened within my first two years there and this was because of the new principal and at his old school they had done a whole library remodel we remodeled our library from top to bottom brand new shelving brand new layout um, new circulation desk. I mean, there was literally nothing left there, but the drinking fountain (laughs) from two years before it was a two-year process. So going through that process also and kind of being very deliberate about not only what you wanted the program to look like, but what you wanted the actual library to look like was a real big undertaking, but it was, it really made the library something that I felt so connected to right off the bat because I had so much interaction with it from from day one.
0: That's neat and so many people never have the opportunity to, to redo to a library or build one you know from the bottom up and you did it your first year in two years so that's what an amazing experience um, for you to have so that's awesome.
1: We've made a lot of changes to it since then not a lot but we've made those subtle changes that we needed oh this isn't working that isn't working and so We've had a very, luckily had a very su- su- um, supportive administration, PTO and others that have helped keep that library, which is physically in the center of our, of our school, mm-hmm. a real central part to what happens in, on a day-to-day basis. That's
0: very nice. All right. So Tom, when you're thinking about um, yourself when you're starting out, is there any kind of advice somebody could have told you that would have been like so beneficial?
1: Yeah. Don't take everything on at once. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that that is the biggest thing. I do wish I would have done some things a little more slowly okay. and deliberately. And I think the other thing that I could have done even more of, or wish I would have done even more of, would have been to really had some deep conversations with classroom teachers, deeper conversations with classroom teachers mm-hmm. around what they saw the library role being to help me understand how to get them from where they were to where I wanted them to be as far as how they utilize the library program. That was something that I feel like I struggled with a little bit at first and took me some time to really get my feet under me Mm -hmm. to move positively in that direction.
0: Okay. Uh, Was there any kind of strategy that you would say was really worked to help you do that?
1: well we were at that time on a fixed schedule and we're currently on a flexible schedule but we were also lucky enough to have the library or not excuse me have the classroom teachers come in to the library during their time in the library during Uh that fixed time and getting teachers to see me teach to see me develop instruction that was connected with what they were doing, mm-hmm. I think really ultimately ended up building trust over time yeah. that then allowed me a little bit of credentials with them that, that they would then trust me to do even bigger projects and even bigger things. And so now, for example, I have been working really closely with one of our fifth grade teachers as she's completely remodeling a nonfiction reading and writing unit. I'm in her classroom every day, she's coming to my library every day and we're talking, but that's a trust that we built over years of working together.
0: Right, okay, that's that's a good, very interesting way of looking at that. All right, so we're well into our fall, <clears throat> excuse me, we're well into the fall now, and um, I'm sure it's a different year than than last year and then the year prior and, um, Lots of things have changed, but what what have you found have been some good tips that that have helped this year be a great year?
1: I think one of the things that we did real deliberately, and this isn't, isn't just in my building, this is in the libraries across my small district. We came into the year asking the question, what are the things that worked really well in our pandemic year when we were in person We were in person last year from late October through the end of the year, so quite a bit of time, but we also had to make quite a few changes to what we did our libraries for the most part were not open circulation looked very different students were not browsing shelves we relied much more heavily upon our library system, which is destiny Mm -hmm. and we spent a lot of time together working through what that would look look like and making it not only the best opportunity for us, but most importantly, the best experience for the students that we could given those circumstances. And there were a lot of really good things that we felt came out of that. And so we started this year knowing that the restrictions that we had had loosened up a bit, although there certainly still are ones in place, knowing that students were going to be coming into our libraries and that was going to be very different, knowing they were going to be browsing shelves and that was going to look very different. But what were the things that happened last year that worked well that we thought could transfer and that we could keep? And we really targeted in on those. We really leaned into those things and we've got, something's big and something small that we think are probably going to be impacting how the library works moving forward for years to come.
0: Could you share one or two of them?
1: Yeah, so so just um, a a small one, for example. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of these are groundbreaking. I think the thing that I really appreciate was our ability to all come in with kind of this positive attitude of, of where can we take it. One small thing, because of the way we were circulating materials, we just had small baskets in every classroom and students would just drop books there and decided at the beginning of this year, well, let's just keep it that way. Let's see how that works because it did seem to work well last year. Mm -hmm. What we found, Laura, is that our returns are up considerably. Our late, our late titles and our overdues are down considerably because the point of access to return a book is so much closer for so many of our students. And all it takes for me to do is to make a round twice a day to the classrooms to pick up those books. It's very minimal time and it's worked just exceptionally well. It was kind of a pleasant surprise, an unexpected surprise for us. Mm -hmm. The other piece that is slightly bigger, but I think Again, not groundbreaking by any stretches. We were lucky enough to have uh, already established the use of Sora through Overdrive as an ebook and audiobook solution. And we leaned even more heavily into that with some of our funding. But the other thing we did along with that is we really opened up the access to students because we were distanced from them so often to let them know how they can get in touch with us when there wasn't a book on Sora, when there wasn't a book that they could check out of our shel- off of our shelves. How could they let us know about that? And so last year in the pandemic, I had students emailing me out of the blue saying, do you have this book or this book's coming out, but I don't see it on Destiny or I don't see it on Sora. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you get that for us? And I loved it because it allowed me to be as responsive and immediate as possible to my students. And so we just continued that this year. It it was an open invitation from day one. They have actually just got a second set of reminders because we did a little Sora review overview again because they just offered or added magazines. So we did a, a touch base on that. And again, we've got students who are asking and requesting new books, books that aren't available to them right now and saying, can you have this? And it really makes me feel like they see it as their library, yeah. which is important to me. And, and so that's another small thing, but but I think really important one that, that we've changed. What weren't things that we weren't doing before? It wasn't that students weren't invited to do that, but we really upped the game last year and we're continue, continuing with that this year. That's
0: awesome, yeah, giving the students a voice um, in, in a more obvious way. you know. even for them to notice that. That's awesome. So when you think back, I mean, you've been talking about the pandemic and the, the things that you have taken away from that. What about professionally? How did the pandemic change you professionally?
1: I think that for me, professionally, the one thing that I ended up leaning into were so many offerings that were online, leaning into my, when I think of my PLN, 90 plus percent of it, is online. They're, it's on Twitter, it's on Clubhouse, which I know you and I were just talking about right before the recording. These are places that I've really found connections with people that I admire, that I trust, that I want to learn from, that I want to share with. And so professionally for me, that's been huge. I think just a few weeks ago when I was at AASL and we were all, those of us that were able to attend were in person together. It made even that experience so much more special, so much more rich because I felt very close to these folks. They weren't people that I necessarily just liked a post on, on Twitter on occasion. These are people that I've had the chance to speak with that I've struck up conversations with online. And I think that those are relationships that I really rely on to professionally keep me growing. And and I I can't say enough about, about those folks in my life.
0: I'm even thinking about like, you know, the pandemic was a crisis and oftentimes in crisis, relationships can really be tightened and strengthened. And I think that happened too, you know, in the social media world, you know, professionally, a lot of people just were like, clinging to anybody, you know, that could, was sharing their ideas and offering them some possible solutions and things to try out. And, um, it was a, it was a good thing, you know, a good, good way to connect for,
1: for us. Absolutely. Together. Absolutely.
0: All right. So Tom, I, I know that you are an author, um, on knowledge quest, you know, on, online. Um, so what, what is, some, what are some of the things that you are most passionate about writing
1: or sharing? So- Area. Yeah, so my 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 main area that I lean into is all around the use of primary sources and historical documents in student learning. And one thing I didn't mention when I gave you my background is that one of my years as a librarian the 15-16 school year I I moved from St. Louis to DC and I spent it as a teacher in residence at the Library of Congress. Oh
0: my goodness. Wow.
1: <laughs> so that experience, that opportunity really made me want to share what i knew and share what the power that i knew these items had Mm -hmm. with others and i had started doing that a little earlier because i had been using them earlier i just didn't jump into that that opportunity and i had been doing that at the state level but as i left the library of congress and came back to my library which was something i i desperately wanted to do i knew that that was my place i also knew that i wanted to continue sharing out with people. And so one of the ways that that you just mentioned, and it didn't start right away, I think I'd started about a year after I had left, was that I started to write a monthly blog post for Knowledge Quest called Picture Books and Primary Sources. And it looks at how historically based picture books, most of them nonfiction, Mm -hmm. can be paired with historical related items and, how instructionally we can do some things to enhance the book, to enhance students' understanding of that historical time period or that historical person. And I try to, especially because it's a blog post, it's only about 700 or 800 words, try to make it something really accessible. I always have the librarian in mind. Here's something that they technically could just pick up and work into a lesson or pass off to a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I have ones there that are in my mind, targeted at elementary students. And I also have ones though that are targeted in on middle school or high school students, because that's where the tone and the content of the picture book is. So for example, I've got one that I'm working on right now that's coming out in the next couple of, I'd say the next week or week and a half um, around unspeakable, the Carol Boston Weatherford picture book about the Tulsa race massacre. And that certainly would be one that you'd more than likely, use with more of a middle school or high school set, but there are incredible resources that I think can go together with that. So that's something I love to explore and love to share. And another way that I have done that is through something I started last year. This was my pandemic passion project, Laura. But I started my own podcast. So sure. I, I started. I call it the Primary Source Podcast, and. It, it comes out about every two weeks or so, and it's focused in on the use of primary sources in education in different ways. So sometimes, we, sometimes it's just me talking and sharing ideas for about 20 minutes. Sometimes it's getting a chance to talk to one of these authors and have an interview with uh, her or him and get down to how did the primary sources influence how you wrote this book. Sometimes it is me talking to another teacher or an institution that houses these items and getting an idea of either how they're used with students or how people can access what is out there. So it's just trying to, again, promote what I think are amazing resources.
0: Yeah, and so we will link to it in the show notes. So um, repeat the name one more time so our audience can listen to catch
1: it. So on Knowledge Quest, it's called Picture Books and Primary Sources. That comes out about once a month. And then the podcast is called The Primary Source Podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'll add one more thing. And, Laura, I did write a book, um, two books, actually. One of them is called The Elementary Educator's Guide to Primary Sources. These are really long titles. (laughs) The The other one is called Building News Literacy. And even though it's really focused in on news literacy, there's also a historical news Okay. slant in there because that's kind of the lens that I view a lot of the world through is how do we look at history and bring it to today okay. to help our students learn and, and make sense of things so I, I love I love getting an opportunity to talk with work with um, write to other professionals and love when I get a chance to to hear back from them as well I think it's a real treat um, and it's it's kind of my my hobby that, keeps me very, very busy outside of all the library busyness that I know we all have. Good.
0: So Tom, with your two books, um, tell tell the audience a little bit about what what's the content is about. It's like what would attract them to the, those books?
1: Yeah, sure. So the elementary educators guide to primary sources, the idea behind that was to take all of the work that I had done for about five years around the use of primary sources mm-hmm. and lay out all the successes. Like what are the things that so what are the moves that teachers and librarians can do to bring these items in with students when you're actually interacting with students what does that look like how do you make that work so that you really get the most bang for the buck of course where do you find these things and what kind of different approaches can you take so it's focused i'd say the main part of that is really five analysis strategies. And I really try to break them down as best as I can. And these work, Laura, for kindergarten students up through fifth grade students Uh or sixth grade students. So it's meant to go all the way from the entire elementary span. And then with building news literacy, the question that was posed to me was, what can we be doing around news literacy at an upper elementary level? Because we had some books out there that were for high school and maybe that spilled down to middle school. And so after coming back with giving it some thought, I said, well, I wanna write this book that looks at upper elementary into middle school. Like That's really the focus. What's going on with news literacy? How do we acknowledge and honor what students are already experiencing outside of the school? And then how do we connect our curriculum to that? And so that one is actually an introductory like three chapters and then a series of lesson plans that can be oh, okay. picked up and used or adapted. And there's ideas on how to adapt them to make them fit your yeah. students that you're working with depending on the age range. And again, there's kind of, uh, it, there's also a way to do each lesson with historical news or with current news. Okay. Because I thought if I only wrote with current news by the time the book's published, <laughs> it's, all, it's all old news anyway. <laughs>
0: definitely. Well, awesome. I I love that you have like your main thing, you know, that you're very passionate about and you're finding different ways to get that out. I mean, now that you've added that podcast, what a, what a fun, fun way, you know, to connect that for people that love the, the audio portion of, of learning. I like to ask people like, do you listen, do you learn better with your ears, you know, or do you learn better, you know, with your eyes or of course there's all kinds of modalities, but I I think of those two primarily myself, but um,
1: anyway. And I think it so depends on the situation, right? Like, where do I need it at the moment and what am I ready to take in? And, and so, yeah, I love the question because I think so many people, and I don't know if this is a pandemic thing, but so many people I've spoken with have gotten more into listening to podcasts over the last year and a half or two years. All right. So, so Tom, you've got so
0: many things that you've, uh, you're still learning and you're sharing and where do you go to yourself to keep learning and growing?
1: I mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, I go to my PLN, I go to my state library organization. That's another huge place that I really love to learn from. Uh, But you'll find me on Twitter all of the time. And there certainly are times where I am just browsing and learning and grabbing from other people. I'm also on some Facebook groups, uh, Future Ready Librarians, and there's, there's several other groups on there that are really great for questions being posed and um, again, just that library world, thinking and asking questions and all of those things get me to think, which is what I wanna be doing.
0: And I'm gonna add this in back to the pandemic we were talking about earlier. Um, I think that the pandemic also gave a lot of us time to reflect, you know, I I know we were busy, 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 busy. But then we also had time that we, we didn't normally have in our, you know, Minute to minute schedule that we were having. And I think that that created the opportunity for us to reflect and think about the things deeper, you know, that we were seeing people chat about online or, you know, in a podcast or whatever. But anyway, just that was just a thought that came to mind.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I was, I came into this year with so many ideas around things I wanted to do. And some of them, again, small, more structural of the library ideas, and some of them, these bigger scale ideas but I think you're right, that time to think. That's why I love going to an in-person conference though, is because you get that time away from that that daily minute by minute that you just mentioned. And so whether I'm going to my state conference or the big AASL conference or ALA or something like that, that time to think along with all of the great learning that, that gets presented there and that's invaluable too. But that time to think, I think really is transformative yeah. for me.
0: Like, all right, so Tom, you you've got um, you've mentioned social media several times and different things online. So just give us a rundown real quick of where people will find you online, and maybe like what the handles are, that kind of thing.
1: So the biggest place that you're going to find me actually saying anything is on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at Captain Library. Mm-hmm. I have the same handle on Instagram, but I am so much just a, a voyeur. I just go and, and pull and learn from others in that space. And you'll see me just with my name, Tom Bober, in some of these library groups okay. on Facebook.
0: Okay. And then you mentioned the blog, um, your Knowledge Quest writing. So we'll share the link for that in the show notes for our audience. But in case you don't know, um, Knowledge Quest has like an author page. Um, and you can find people, and you'd be able to search out like everything, you know, that Tom wrote or someone else that you might have um, heard about writing on Knowledge Quest. And then again, you mentioned your podcast, the Primary Source Podcast, and we'll we'll have links to that. Um, if you will visit laurachinnaman.com and go to the blog, you'll see all the hyperlinks and things that will take you to his Twitter account, to his Knowledge Quest page, and also to his podcast. But Tom, thanks so much for sharing with our audience today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And um, I look forward to to learning more from you and, and just seeing the the great things that you're doing as you're sharing about your, your passion project things that you're working on. So thanks for your time.
1: Laura, thanks again for having me on today. I had a blast talking to you.
0: Good. It's nice to get to meet you.
1: Bye-bye. You too.